Welcome to the Circles Off podcast, episode number seven. I'm Rob Pizzola, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. And Johnny, it's been an interesting week of of March Madness. Uh, We're both Canadian and and located in uh, you know the GTA Toronto area uh, for for those that aren't familiar with the what the GTA stands for. But um, March Madness doesn't really get like a lot of publicity in Canada. It's not like uh, people get excited about it. But us guys that have been betters for a long time, it's one of those times of year where like I haven't bet any college basketball for the entire season. Had no idea what was going on. I end up spending forty six thousand dollars in an auction to to draft teams for this tournament, and I'm, I'm live betting. I'm betting every day, and I I just like it's one of those experiences for me that I mean, college basketball and just basketball in general is not not my favorite sport, but you can't get better than like this tournament style format as a better. It's it's just so good. I agree. Couldn't agree more. The first two days are just some of the best days of the year for if you just want to be you know, a better enjoy the entertainment value that it comes with, um, man, like there's just nonstop action. You almost need, so it starts off in the morning, one game, then there's two on, then three on. And then there comes a point mid afternoon where if you want to follow every game, you need four TVs. Um, and it's crazy. I know you mentioned, you know, Canada here, we have TSN, which is the, you know, comparable to ESPN and, these guys constantly switch up the channels and they're, they're like switching coverage. So it's just a a force field to go ahead and be like, Oh, this game's on now on this channel, put this one on, this one's off, this one's off half. Um, and then having just, you know, the screen up with all the live numbers and just trying to get, get what you can, but how, how's it been for you? So now that's, uh, the first four days are over and we've got another, you know, still some more fun to have, but how's, uh, how would it come for you first couple of days? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I'm not break even yet in the Calcutta auction. I need one more win out of Loyola Chicago or Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts is like 13% to win, something like that. Loyola Chicago is a six and a half, seven point favorite. So I'm, I'm counting on them and that would turn a pretty nice profit for me there. Not to mention they could go even deeper than that. So I'm kind of excited about that. I, I, I've watched the first two Loyola Chicago games. They struggled early against Georgia Tech. But that to me looks like a team. And again, I know nothing about college basketball. Didn't watch a single game over the course of the regular season. But that looks to me like a team that should not have been an eight seed entering the tournament. Like that's a really good basketball team in general. So I'm excited there. Uh, I've the rest of, of the tournament. Honestly, if I charted my P and L, it's it's crazy. It's like a a heartbeat that goes up to 180 and to zero multiple times over the course of a day because. Um, I've been pressing on some games where you, you either get it completely right or you get it completely wrong, right? If you're live betting a, a team three or four times over the course of a game uh, and they just end up getting blown out, which has happened a couple times in the tournament, it's not a good result. Conversely, if you're live betting a team three or four times in a game that comes back and ends up covering all those, it's a great result. So it's been all over the place. I'm I'm at a pretty decent ROI right now, so I'm winning, but there's so so much luck involved. Like I, I won a lot of bets by half a point, one point. I've had some blowout losers. Overall, I'm just doing this more recreationally than with the expectation of making a ton of money. But uh, it's been fun. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm getting some entertainment value out of it. When Whenever you're winning on top of that, it's good. But um, we'll see. There's still a lot of tournament left. So it could easily, could easily turn in a hurry. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I hope it turns for me, uh, for us, I should say it's been, it was a dark couple of days. Um, we, you know, it is what it is like, it's again, it's all for fun and the amount of money you can get down betting live is not, uh, as significant as like pregame markets or any major market. But, uh, but yeah, we've been focusing on, you know, picking off some off numbers, doing what we can live in play, you know, making sure betting into a low hold or, uh, a negative hold in some cases. Uh, but it hasn't, uh, hasn't worked out. We've, we've been on the wrong side of variance for the first couple of days. We're, I think a double digit negative ROI on the, on the live in play stuff, which is tough, but, uh, I mean, it is what it is. And to be honest, we're betting mainly larger dogs. So it, the ROI, yeah, the variance is going to be uh, much higher than betting pre-market stuff. That's minus 10 aside. It's almost like we're expecting that we're going to either have for the tournament a double digit neg or double digit positive ROI. Is there a team that uh, specifically you hate at this point, like me? Because I hate Syracuse. Syracuse has cost me so much money already in this tournament, uh, both from the auction point of view, where I had uh, San Diego State, uh, and then live betting San Diego State in the first matchup. Like, here's the thing with Syracuse: they play the zone. I'm, I'm not, I'm not giving anyone anything that they haven't heard before here. But like, both opponents were missing a lot of wide open shots against them. And I don't understand how they continuously do this. Like this is like the Syracuse MO pretty much every year with this zone defense. And it's not like the other teams don't get great looks at times. They just can't hit a shot. And Syracuse, like I'd love to never see that team again, ever in my life. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm looking back through through bed stamp now. I'm I'm sort by live here. Man, it's actually painful to re- recall some of these losses. I'm looking at <laughs> I'm looking at here, I got a Rutgers plus 490 on Rutgers. They were up, I, I think, uh, again, I don't want, I'm not quoting scores here. I think they were up 10 with under five to go. We had them at uh, high fours plus WVU big on live. Great prices here at plus 600 at one point. They went down, came back, cut it close. Uh, what do we have? Loyola, Chicago, uh, second half spread. Ended up cashing big. Well, I'm, I'm just looking through. There's so many painful ones on here. I had actually Ohio State live. Yeah, um, we were opposite on that one. We were messaging back and forth. I think we were on different prices, though. I, I would imagine so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we picked up some Ohio State. And then obviously, the just the frustration when, <laughs> I guess, they missed the last shot of regulation and then losing an OT there. We lost between the first three days. We had three games go to OT in which we had heavy plus prices going into OT on all of the teams that were actually pre-market favorites. So going into yeah. OT, we were a large EV and we ended up going 0 for 3. So that was a big swing. And honestly, man, it's like, again, it's just for fun. I don't expect to make or lose a ton of money on this, but uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, the only thing you can hold your hat on something like this when you're losing is thinking back to your process and then just thinking like, you know, am I putting in five team parlays and then, you know, holding negative 15% or am I putting in bets that I truly believe are plus EV and that I would make again every time. And if that's the case, then, uh, you know, it sucks to be, to be down, but you're also going to have a stretch where you go through positive variance. And, And in the end, you know, I didn't, I'm not betting to win or lose the bet or win amount. I'm betting to kind of make a certain expected value per bet. Uh, so, you know, my expected value might've been, you know, one and a half, 2% on these. And I'll take that over my, uh, total ROI for now. Just if I, you know, need to think about something. 
Right. It's always tough with live betting just in general. This isn't just uh, college basketball. It's across any sport because you don't really have the notion of a closing line either where you can just go back and say, I made some great bets here. But you kind of do if you're still following in real time, right? I mean, if you bet a team that's plus 450 on the money line and they get to be favored at one point over the course of, of the rest of the game, you've made yourself a pretty good wager there. Now, if you bet 450 and then the next commercial break, it's plus 650. And then after that, they're plus 1000. Then you made a bad bet in general. Um, so, and and just seeing that's those lines move your way. I, I and this is completely subjective because I'm not, I'm actually not tracking this, but it, it feels like the bets that I've made, it's been more, they're more often moving in my direction as the game goes on. So I kind of feel like I do have at least somewhat of an edge there. Yeah, and I'm not even referring to like in-game probabilities like being able to arb out later or something like that. What I'm more referring to is like if you're if you're at a commercial break and you've got, you know, a plus 450 hanging on one team and then you can arb back immediately, you know, minus 420, now you're betting into a negative hold anyways. So you basically just have have your pick at whatever you think is is the plus expected value play. Or I mean, you could obviously bet both of them and and clean up a couple of pennies, but overall like if you're betting into a negative hold, whether it live pregame or anything, you have some sort of edge there if you can do it correctly. So I'm not necessarily too worried about uh, you know long-term profit there. All right, Johnny, the, the March Madness conversation, I guess will lead into our first topic for this week because I've noticed this. I don't know if you have particularly, obviously I, I'm, I'm quite, um, I don't want in tune with, with Twitter for the most part as a social media, I don't spend my time a uh, whole lot of time elsewhere on other social platforms, but the content that has been produced around March Madness, um, I typically don't lend or pay attention to a lot of the content that is out in the space right now, uh, but it's been hard to ignore in general. And I, I don't want to make this a segment about throwing individual people out of the, under the bus because I don't, uh, but I think we've seen a trend over the course of the last year, two years, uh, since regulation started happening in the U.S., where a lot of people have been forced to produce content in a space where they are not necessarily qualified to produce content, whether that's giving out picks, whether that's giving out strategy or advice, whatever it is. I, I read, a, I read a, an article this week about how to fill out your bracket which almost made my head explode off the top of my body. It's like always put a 12 seed into the second round because in, you know, whatever of the past, whatever years, a 12 seed has beat a five seed. Okay. I mean, what happens if all the 12 seeds in this year's tournament are 30 point underdogs? You're going to put a 12 seed in the second round just because it's happened in years past. Like that kind of stuff drives me up the wall and we're seeing more and more and more of it because the space is becoming very saturated. And a lot of people message me privately about whether or not they can trust certain sources or what do you think about this article? What do you think about that? And honestly, 99% of the time I respond to them and say, this is garbage. Like you, you can't take this for, you know, it, it's, it's literally worthless advice. And I feel like it's on someone at least to try to educate a little bit better in terms of what is valuable and what is not out there. And I think Captain Jack does a good job of this in general with his YouTube channel. 
Uh, I don't care what his motivations are. I honestly don't. People will call about like, oh, you know, he's trying to promote his new platform or, or whatever. He's trying to make some money off this in the long term. I honestly don't care. I think the content from that perspective, like the, the sports betting content he produces is actually good content. It will help someone win over the long run. Uh, someone who doesn't understand simple concepts might watch that and totally understand it and they're better off for it. But trend-based analysis, um, regular picks articles on a daily basis uh, where there's no record keeping or anything along those lines, like this kind of stuff right now, Johnny, it's it literally is driving me up a wall on a daily basis. And I I try to ignore it, but there's just so much of it out there right now. Yeah. And I mean, well said, I think one thing you didn't touch on is the, the amount that this stuff has been growing over the past, like one year, year and a half, two years, um, which is a little alarming because, you know, sports betting is not regulated in every single state right now. And, you know, it's not really, it's not regulated in Canada yet. It's going to be coming to Canada. It's going to be coming to, you know, whatever, all these States, hopefully in, in due time. So I think you made a good point, uh, but instead of, you know, harping on p- specific people, I think to have the best combo, let's just maybe discuss some things we, you know, we see that aren't valuable that people might be able to stay away from. And then potentially how do, you know, how do you think you can maybe find some pieces of content that might be worth it? Okay. So that that's a, that, that's a, a good start. And then on top of that, I, I'll make some recommendations at the end of just some very simple articles that helped me in the past with simple concepts. They're still available online to, to this day, just in general. But uh, I think that's a, a good way to go. And and I think for the most part, people are seeking out, uh, I don't want to lump everyone in, but I think the majority of people are seeking out picks on a daily basis or um, some sort of picks content. Like a, here's my three pack of picks for the day and write-ups on each type of thing. That's fine if you're seeking out that sort of information. But again, we've talked about long-term record keeping on here before. People get enamored with like the nine and one college basketball run. And they think that this person is onto something and they're doing something that the market is not accounting for without understanding the variance associated with that. And for me, I think pretty simply, I could say avoid picks articles as best as possible. And try to trust your own process because the reality is, especially public picks articles, if there was any value in those, lines would be moving instantaneously as soon as those picks are released. In a lot of cases, they're just stale lines in general. They were written two hours ago, an editor didn't approve it or read it at that time, and they get put up when the lines have already moved, whether that's in, in their direction or or in the other direction. There's just so many problems with the picks articles. And that's where the space is truly oversaturated right now. Here, let me go on a little bit of a tangent here. So as to why specifically what Rob means when he's saying those aren't valuable because they're posted two hours after being written. Um, I So for example, I think Rob is a good NHL hockey better. I would blindly back his picks right now. I would say, yep, I, I, I'd stake Rob. However, if I'm going to message him right now, if I'm going to talk to him on the podcast and say, Hey Rob, what do you have in play for today's NHL? And he tells me his picks. There's no way that I'm going to be able to get the same prices that he got. Cause as soon as he's betting them, he's likely maximizing and taking value out of the market. So for me to ask Rob, Hey, 
who are you on tonight? And for him to say, I'm on whatever, the Leafs, the Canucks, the, the Flames. There's no value in me now betting that for one of two reasons. Number one, if there was value at the price that he made, that he made, then that price is likely gone. So I'm going to be able to get a worse price that at which Rob has already agreed to stop betting it. So I'm now getting a worse price that Rob no longer sees value. And contrary, if I'm getting a better price than what he got me, than what he gave me. So he, he said, I, I got the Leafs at minus 150 and I checked back now and they're minus 130, 20 cents better. Then now that means that A, Rob had market opposition and then stopped betting it. So he's now no longer confident in that play or B, something changed over that time that swung the line in reverse. For example, Austin Matthews being out, goalie change, uh, some sort of injury news or something like that. So overall, if you're going to blindly back somebody who's originating and who's doing a good job of setting a major market or even a smaller market, you need to ensure you're getting the prices they're getting at the exact time they're getting it or before they're getting it. If not, then the value is essentially gone. And th there's exceptions to this rule in some small cases, which are going to impact less than 1% of the people. So I don't have to mention them now. We can get into different, different topics. But when you see an article saying, Here's the, the, the five picks I'm making for the Sweet 16. Um, as Rob mentioned, like that guy is going to be making those picks first off into probably a market that's already mature and set because those lines have been posted for the last three days now. Uh, and when he does submit those picks or when he or she does submit those picks, he's, they're writing the article, they're making the picks, they're submitting it to an editor, they're posting it on the platform. And, and you may not even be reading it the first minute. You may be reading it after a thousand people already read it. So there is, it's, it's almost a certainty that there is absolutely no value in any of those picks or, you know, at the very minimum, it's a certainty that the market is not respecting those picks. So you would have to trust and believe that this person that you're reading their article has an edge that nobody else in the entire world has. And when you read those write-ups and you see the content that's coming into it, you can pretty clearly tell that it's almost always something that's already factored into the line or already being incorporated into a line, right? So it's nothing unique and you're not going to win money long-term by betting picks that you're going to receive in an article. All right. End of tangent. Well, I mean, I, I've faced this on a personal level before, right? Because I've been doing Sunday morning NFL periscopes for, I, what is it? Four years now, three or four years. Um, Every single year, I kind of threaten to stop doing them. I don't want to say threaten. I mean, it's maybe not the right word, but I say that I'm not going to do it the next year. Then I get a, a ton of messages saying like, you have to do them. This is my you know Sunday morning routine and whatever. But it's really a pick segment um, with not a lot of value. I'm trying to be upfront and open about that as much as possible. And it's part of the reason that I don't give out what I bet earlier in the week anymore. A couple of years ago, I used to do that, right? I bet, I bet the Cowboys minus three, but I won't bet them now because the number's three and a half or four. The reality is so many people would message me after the Cowboys cover that, that saying, thanks for the, thanks for the Cowboys pick. I'd respond being like, I didn't, I didn't give out the Cowboys as a play. I said not to bet them because the line's already moved too far. They're like, oh, I wanted to be on the same side as you. It's an epidemic is what it is really. People are looking for other sharp people in the space. Um, I don't even have a public, like I don't even have a public record anywhere, right? No one knows that I'm sharp. Like the people that I'm closest with know because they get the majority of my plays and 
you know, my movers get my plays and things of that nature. But there's people that are just blindly tailing me on Sunday mornings for years because I'm doing a video and because a lot of people watch it and because I seem to know what I'm talking about, I think at least. And I, I like it, I'm kind of like a contributor to the problem in that sense, but I'm really working on trying to make those as more about the process than it is about the picks. And th- this year I started tracking on Betstamp, obviously, just to see if I could even beat Chris Lyons in in the morning of NFL, which I somehow did, but it's like, could have just been pure randomness. Um, so I, like, it is kind of hypocritical in a sense, because I, I do do the same type of things, but I'm really trying to gear myself towards, like getting back towards, this is the process, here's how I think about a game. But that periscope could be two minutes long every Sunday morning. Here's my number on this game. Here's what I'd bet. Here's my number on this game. The rest is kind of filler, is the reality of it. Like, I, I hate to say that, but at that point on Sunday morning, 11 o'clock Eastern to 12 o'clock Eastern, all the information I'm giving is kind of already factored into the line by someone, or at least you know, market makers have factored that in. Occasionally we'll get like a late injury where I'll say, I think this injury is worth more or less, which I think is fair because I don't think everyone's going to agree on what a quarterback injury is worth, for example. And, and later in the, late in the year, I think we saw one with Carolina and Detroit where Teddy Bridgewater was out and all of a sudden, like the line moved from Carolina minus three to Detroit plus three. Detroit yeah, got to exclude uh, like surprise injuries or late inactives and stuff like right. that. Exclude all that, obviously, from from this topic. But at the end of the day, there's most of the content in the space. They're not really going through the process. It's more so just strictly picks and here's why and here's all this essentially this BS I'm going to give you that has like is meaningless it's already been factored in or or it's not factored in because it doesn't mean anything like teams 3 and 0 in the last 3 full moons like i don't i don't really give a shit about that kind of stuff so let's let's break that down so trends trends based stuff that comes in and the reason i say that is like we when when building betstamp we purposely omitted anything to do with betting trends um reason being we don't believe it's valuable um and end of story so what I mean by betting trends is, you know, you're able to find statistics that would back up either side of any game if you need to. So you can say, you know, Green Bay is nine and two in their last home games when they're a five point favorite in October. And that may only be a sample size of 11 over the course of Green Bay's history, which is it's dumb to even consider what they would have been under Brett Favre or what they would have been back even further to that. Right. So stuff like that. Um, is what we see gets posted a lot in the media and and further we see like narratives driven stuff but let's break into that so so the trends based stuff rob why do you think that's not valuable well for one you 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 already touched on it you can find trends to support either side all the time like if you go to trends based websites i won't list them out here cuz i don't actually want you to visit them but they're going to literally list trends that support both sides in a game both total the over and the under in a game because you could literally pick out anything like and all of it's arbitrary like it's these arbitrary endpoints you use four game sample when you want you use a 20 game sample when you want you can go back to 1976 when you want like it, it is just a bunch of arbitrary information that tells you how something has 
gone in the past, but it's not predictive of the future at all. There's no context into a lot of the trends, what the numbers were in those specific games, things of that nature. So, um, I mean, it's for all those reasons, they're just largely irrelevant. Yeah, and I can tell you guys, not a lot of people will know that, but all of those trends you see, even on your TV broadcasts, uh, even on you know the articles in the app, stuff like that, that's random. That's like automatically generated by data providers. So data providers will sell those media companies a package that says, hey, big TV network, we're going to give you trends and insights that you could pop on the screen. And they have a computer algorithm that picks through and puts trends out based on whatever. Um, so, you know, it's just like a cookie cutter thing that happens and goes on, but provides zero value outside of like, you know, the fun fact aspect or the cool stat aspect, which, you know, if, if people want to use it for that as like a, you know, bar talk or, you know, couch talk when you're watching the thing say, Oh, can you believe it? Like, you know, Aaron Rodgers has never lost in, but that's, that's kind of the problem. Like, I don't want to interrupt you, Johnny, but that's kind of the problem, right? It, it becomes mainstream like trends are used because and these and certain narratives are used because it's just very easy like it's easy for media people to to bring that kind of stuff up it's like it's being handed it's to them on a paper sheet of- of course it's much harder to do the work on on why something is specifically happening and um i mean that that, that contributes to it in general it's just that it's um, it's so easy to get your hands on this stuff that it becomes like, you know, if I'm doing a radio show and I have a, my producer gives me a list of, of trends uh, for, for specific games. And my producer just got that for, cause he's on an email dist- distribution list from someone or whatever. And it's very easy for him to throw that into my, um, my deck for the day. Then it's like, it's just, you know, compounds the problem. Agreed. Okay. So that's, that's trends. And then if you, we can break down a couple more that I, that I see frequently here. So the second one would be like, I'll call it narratives, but really what I'm, what I'm referring to here is saying like, well, this guy's facing his former team or, uh, you know, this guy plays well, or like almost even news driven stuff. Like this coach said, this guy's going to get more usage or any, anything to do with that. And then breaking that down and putting it into one kind of um, article. So, you know, this goal, he's facing his former team that cut him and he's going to be out to get them this game as if he's not trying his hardest every game anyway, <laughs> stuff like that. So what do, what do you think of that? Do you think there's any value in, you know, like, like coaches narratives or we're going to get this running back more involved or we're going to get this wide receiver more involved. And then how about the, you know, revenge factors and stuff like that? Cause we see it a ton. Well, for some of them, you have a large sample that you could actually just do the data analysis, right? Like first game after a coach is fired is a good example. If you actually look into that, teams don't perform well in the first game after a coach is fired uh, with a new head coach. But the reality is that most people think that they do. They're playing for the new coach, right? They're going to get up for this game. They didn't like the old guy and whatever. And it's, again, it's just lazy, right? It's like, it's somebody in their head having this hypothesis of what they think should happen in a situation, right? They, they didn't like the previous coach. They never played for him. Now they got this new coach coming in here and they're going to play better for him all of a sudden. But it's like, it's not backed with data, right? It, it, again, it's just a really lazy way to approach a problem without trying to actually back it with data in general. So most of that stuff is is complete garbage. I mean, I do think there are some here and there that apply. I don't really want to get into them because they're kind of like a hidden edge that I have. But I think with any narrative that you have in general for a specific game, 
there's a pretty decent sample size of stuff you can look back through to see if it's meaningful or not. Um, in some cases, some people want to guess at that stuff. They want to work it into their numbers. That's fine. But I think in general in sports, if you take the approach that players are, these are professional players, they're giving it their all every game. They want to win. That's probably the best approach you can take. And there's some scenarios where, yeah, maybe a team does end up mailing it in type of thing, but it's so few and far between that if you operate under that assumption, uh, I, I think you're just better off in the long term. Agreed. Agreed. And I think one of the one of the last ones that we hear a lot, and when I when I say we hear a lot, I mean, if you're watching TV, if you're watching one of those major network shows, you hear people break down a game, football game, basketball game. You hear the trends, you hear the narrative-based stuff a lot, just because it's simple and easy to talk about. And the last one, which you're always going to hear about, is just because it's there's a report for it is going to be the injuries. So people in the media, people writing these articles on TV, on Twitter, they're looking at the injury report and saying, oh, this is a cool topic to talk about because these guys are out. And then they're saying, you know, this player is out for this team, which is going to be a big loss on the offensive line. And it makes them sound smart without actually like, you know, it makes them sound knowledgeable in a sense like, oh, they knew these two offensive linemen and they're out and these guys are going to be big losses to the team and this and this, but they're not actually quantifying what that's worth to the line. Like, for example, I mentioned on a previous podcast, uh, somebody, you know, touting a play saying that Henry Ruggs is, is out and that's going to be a huge loss for the Raiders. When in reality, um, like that's the probably the, the lowest loss that you could have had on any team, any position would be like a guy like Henry Ruggs, for example, uh, where he's, the way he played was almost borderline below replacement level last year. So things like that, where you don't really know, you're just making up a thing or, or even another one, like this guy's coming back from injury and he's not going to play as good because he's coming back from injury or he's going to play better because he's, he's rested after taking a, a break. And the thing that you always hear is you can't, they, people say like, Oh, you can never quantify this. You can never quantify injuries, but in reality, you can't really quantify any of the stuff that's going on. It's a sporting event. You can't physically quantify to 100% anything. The people who win at sports betting are the people who can better quantify something than the, the rest of the market. So when people say you can't quantify injuries and like there's two cluster injuries on the offensive line, you can't quantify that. They're going to be a mess. You can quantify that. It's being quantified and it's already in the line. So that's, that's the rant there. Personally, I think when people bring up anything to do with like an injury to a player, on some sort of team uh it's it's right away i write that off and say that's more for entertainment purposes um because that's factored into the line already in majority of cases well yes yes and no so like i, I don't completely write it off but you have to tell me why you think that this player is worth more or less than what the market is is making them worth like i think there was a market inefficiency with the nfl for a couple of years um where Offensive and defensive line injuries were not being quantified accurately, in my opinion, especially cluster injuries on the offensive and defensive line. If you had multiple offensive linemen out or defensive linemen out, I didn't think that the market was weighting that heavily enough. Uh, I would be off market quite a bit on those games in general, and I would reference that on, on my Periscope, but I was fairly confident in my back testing, and um, it worked out well for me. You don't see that anymore. Like The market is adapted to the point where you know, I think it's right now. So I'm not going to completely dismiss the the injury side of things. But in a lot of cases, yes, it's it's already factored in. Like, especially if the injury happens in the course of a day. Like, 
if if something happens over the course of the day, if LeBron James is out, right, that number is going to move immediately. You're going to get to a point later on in the day where a lot of people are are betting into that line and they'll bet against the Lakers because LeBron James is out. But it's already been factored. Like if you think LeBron James is worth more than what the market is indicating, that's one thing. It's probably not because the NBA market's highly efficient in general, but that's one thing. But if you're just saying I'm betting against the Lakers because LeBron is out, well, that's been accounted for already. Yeah. So to, to give people like a better idea of what happened. So let's say Lakers are minus nine. It's assumed LeBron James is playing. Okay. He injured, he gets injured in practice or even, even not even an injury. Let's say he's got a planned day off that nobody knew about. So the Lakers are minus nine news breaks from a beat reporter. LeBron James will sit today's game due to rest. As soon as that happens, all of the minus nines across the board, they're, they're going to get hit. So the plus nine on the other team is going to get hit right away, as well as the money line, as well as the total in, in either direction. But you're going to see the bunch of plus nines get banged across the board. So the major sites that are moving on action are going to slowly trickle that number down. So you're going to see the Lakers minus nine, then we'll eight and a half, eight, seven for a very small period for like about a minute. And then that line will be pulled off the board. So everywhere that still has a plus nine will get hit. The line will get pulled off the board. And ultimately every other place will pull the line off the board. So there'll be a few brief periods, brief couple minutes where the line's off the board completely. Then the line gets put back up. Now it's going to open Lakers, whatever it might be, minus three. As soon as that minus three goes on the board, that's going to get hit in either direction as well. For people believing that LeBron is out, is worth X amount. Do people believe, you know, if it's three, that means they think he's worth six points in this scenario. Other people might think he's worth eight points. So continue to hammer that line down. So now the plus three is going to get hit. You're going to go plus two, plus one. And eventually the line will settle on something where both parties, the guy who thinks Le- or the party who thinks LeBron's worth more and the party who thinks LeBron's less will settle and say, you know what? The correct number is roughly one and a half. I'm not willing to bet anymore on the plus one and a half. And you're not willing to bet anymore on the minus one and a half, which means that's now the correct price. So from there, the line's now minus one and a half. Then about four hours later in the pregame TV broadcast. And all of this, by the way, that I just mentioned happens over the course of about six minutes, six, seven minutes. Um, and for about five of those minutes, the line's off the board. So really this happens in, it really is a game of seconds. So now, four hours later, five hours later, you're watching the TV broadcast and someone says, the Lakers are not going to win today because LeBron's out. I'm on. Portland. I don't know. I'm making up a team here. I'm on Portland. At what number? If you could get the Portland plus nine, then absolutely. You have a great bet. But if you're on Portland one and a half after that line's already settled and came down, you don't have an edge because LeBron's out. LeBron is out. He is worth a lot of money. The injury did matter. or the, the Missing the game did matter in a big way, but the value is already soaked out. So I hope people can understand kind of that in a sense of how the market works, how trading works. That might be valuable to a lot of people who might just be blindly betting stuff because of injury news. So I hope, hope anyone um, who doesn't understand that can reach out and anyone who may have learned that. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of you guys already knew that's how it works and had to rehear me, listen, uh, listen to me rehash that, but all in that's kind of how it works. And that's why in general, there's really no edge in, you know, listening to somebody rant about injury news well after the fact. I think you I think you said it all there. I, I mean I can't add anything to that that um that you didn't already state. So uh 
good point. Well done. I think price sensitivity is extremely important. It's something that um, a lot of people struggle with, uh, and they just get caught up on the teams and not necessarily the number of a game, and they they fall into that trap. Uh, one last thing I wanted to talk about in relation to content is recreational sports books that produce content. Avoid, avoid, avoid as much as possible. Plain and simple. Recreational books, for the most part, will limit winning bettors. They do not want to put out content that is going to help you beat them. They're hiring people that are entertaining, that will have a following, that can put stuff out there that gets their brand out there, but not going to help you win. And I think that is a rule of thumb that I will 100% stand by. With that said, there are sharp sports books like Pinnacle, who welcome all bettors with high limits, that have some great content online. Really, really good content. If you want to understand why closing line value is important, Pinnacle has great articles over the year. If you want to understand why reverse line movement is garbage, Pinnacle has great articles over the years. You can find a lot of stuff that Pinnacle will put out there. I have no problem promoting them because I think they do a good job in the content space and they have sharp people writing their content in general. But recreational sports books, big affiliates to those sports books, in general, avoid at all costs. And at some point, there will be affiliates that come along and do things the right way. I think there's a niche uh, or, or a gap in the market for that right now, rather than just people trying to get everyone they know to go sign up at FanDuel and DraftKings and whatever. But as it stands right now, that is, an, that is the biggest epidemic in the space. Is I don't even really follow people that work for sports books or produce content for sports books, and it finds a way onto my timeline every single day. So you can imagine the reach that they're getting right now from that kind of stuff. But man, I, I like I've seen some articles that have been on some FanDuel Twitter feeds. I'm not I'm, I don't want to pick on FanDuel. I, like it could be anyone, and there's lots of lots of stuff out there. But it's not good. It is not going to help you win, and that's just the sad reality of it. But think about it. Take a step back. Think about it from a logical perspective. If you're a bookmaker with, let's call it low risk tolerance, since you're banning all sorts of winners across the board, why would you ever hire someone that is going to win in the long run and produce content that helps other people beat your sports book? It's not going to happen. So just be cognizant of that, because to me, that is the largest epidemic in the space right now, Johnny. Yeah, I agree. I'll say, I'll add, like, I get it. Not everybody needs to win at sports betting to get the most out of what the purpose of it. A lot of people use it for entertainment. And I, that that's a good people, point. Yeah. There's people who spend hours scrolling Instagram all day to look at, you know, whatever, whatever it might be like different influencer accounts, recipes, things to do, whatever. And, and some of those may be sponsored or paid for, or they look at like, as long as you're getting entertainment out of it, it doesn't really matter. So I, I will say like anyone who's, let's say, posting videos on TikTok, giving out pics or people who are posting videos on Twitter where it's entertainment based stuff and they're also giving out pics, it's fine. If people want to listen to it for the entertainment value, 
everyone has the right to earn and anyone who who's who's done that and has done well in it i respect them and applaud them the only thing we'll caution is like if you are using that and and looking at that content because you think you're going to win money and only looking at that because you want to win money you're probably in the wrong place is what we're trying to say here but for anyone who's producing entertaining content and wants to keep doing that everyone has the right to earn everyone can do that um i'll even bring up another example is like people who are on tv giving out picks one guy who uh we interacted with a bit before was the guy who gives out picks on the ufc broadcast yanni the greek and is it Yanni or Johnny? I don't, I don't yeah, even know. I, I think it was Yanni. Um, Yanni, okay. The, the Greek, Greek pronunciation. And listen, like he's on there and he's trying to provide entertaining content and he's trying to explain the lines and stuff to people who are watching a UFC broadcast. It's not an easy job. And I don't like, you know, well, I mean, I don't wish him any ill because at the same time, he's getting attacked from a lot of different angles. Uh, when what we don't like is the fact that, you know, he's promoting and using that platform to sell picks that have no value and advertising and falsifying records and stuff like that. All that is garbage. But in the actual like broadcast, you have to understand that he may not have an edge on the main event, but ESPN or that whatever network is going to say, you got to give out a pick on the main event. So he's now got to like kind of, you know, he's under contract by somebody who's, he doesn't get to control all of the content. So it's so tricky to be entertaining and to provide amazing content and also to give out valuable stuff. So I, I like, again, I do fault him and I also don't fault him because I know how hard of a position these people are in to provide entertaining stuff that also provides value. Ooh, this this is going to be the first time I think we vehemently disagree in a long time. I, I, I will say, I'm glad you prefaced uh, what I was saying, or you didn't preface it. I should have prefaced it myself about content in general. There's content that's entertaining and that's completely fine. Like if you want to consume entertaining content in general, someone dancing and giving up pics, I'm not going to tell you not to do that. I don't, I don't really care about that. If you're consuming content that is you think is going to help you win in the long run, I would suggest staying clear of that stuff. So that's all I was getting at. Uh, I'm not here to attack people who are trying to make entertaining content. I actually kind of applaud people who are taking a different, like a creative way of producing content nowadays. I'm completely fine with that. It's more so the, um, I'm going to follow this person's advice religiously uh, type of thing where I would be like, uh, no. In the case of Johnny the Greek, I'm going to call him Johnny the Greek because I can't say Yanni the Greek like over and over. I just, it's, I don't know why I, I've, he's always been Johnny in my head. So I'm going to continue going with that. I know you don't want to share a name with him. So that's maybe why you're shaking your head or, or whatever. But uh, here's the thing. I was in my early twenties. I don't know how many people really know about this, but I started as a radio producer. It was my first gig out of university. I eventually became a radio host. The first program that I hosted was called Covers Experts. It was sponsored by Covers.com. It had a tout on every single day of the week. My sole job was to promote covers, plain and simple, because they were paying a lot of money and we needed that ad money to run as a radio station. I had no idea the damage I was doing at that time. Zero. If I could go back in time, and I knew what I knew now, I would never have agreed to do that show. And I think Johnny the Greek is someone that knows the damage he could do by giving out picks on a public platform where there's no edge to be had. He knows that. And he's publicly stated that. 
I've got to give out picks. I mean, it's on TV. That's what they're asking for. Like, you don't have to. That's a decision he's making. He is making that decision. Plain and simple. That's where I struggle with it. I mean, I don't know his financial situation. I know that he's scammed a lot of people in the past. That's very public. I don't really care what anyone has to say about it. You can search all sorts of Google uh, stuff about the Johnny the Greek uh, scams in the past. But he's making a conscious decision because he's not like a newbie in this space. He's been around for many, many years. He's smart enough to know what he is doing and he is choosing to do that. It's very different, in my opinion, from someone who doesn't know. That doesn't make what what the person that doesn't know doesn't make it right. But I think there's at least some excuse there and there's some, at least some education. And then at that point, they're consciously making that effort to go down that path. That's where I see it as, as being different. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you. I'll take that. You know what? I'll take that and agree with you there. The point I was more trying to make was if the UFC, which is a great comment, I'm an enormous UFC fan. I, I watch religiously, you know, I, I almost watch every, almost every single fight. And like, to, if they're going to want to put someone on there to give out picks, then if it's not going to be Yanni, it's going to be somebody else on there. I, I get it. It's tough. But if they want to give out some, if they want to put someone on there to give out picks because they're sponsored by X and X book and because they want to, you know, get more fans of the UFC, because it's an incredibly fun sport to bet on. If you've ever done that, if you're a live bet on UFC, if you're a pre-match bet on UFC, it's incredibly fun. Um, so if they want to, I guess, incite gambling, then they're going to do that in whatever way they can, I guess. But to make your like, yeah, he, he knows what he's doing. He's not a dummy that thinks that he has an edge on it and is actually going to be betting, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on those plays. He's not doing that. He, he, he is making a conscious decision at the end of the day. He could go back to who was he? What platform is he on ESPN? I haven't watched fights in forever, so I don't he, even know. He does. Uh, he's on the ESPN ESPN plus stuff. Right. So, I mean, he could easily go back to ESPN and say, I'm not comfortable giving out picks on fights where I don't think I have an edge. I don't know if that's happened or not. ESPN might say, well, you know what? If you don't want to do that, here's the door and we'll go find someone else to do to do that. But at the end of the day, he's making a conscious decision. He's saying, okay, the amount of money ESPN is paying me, I'm going to go out and do this regardless of whether I know it's right or wrong. And to me, like, he, he's very... He very much is aware that giving out fight picks an hour before the fight or 30 sec- 30 minutes before the fight happens he you know he knows what he's doing is what I'm getting at I I I know what you're saying Johnny like if it's not him it's going to be someone else yeah I mean if it's not him it's going to be someone else and I would be here ripping that other person it's not just that I'm I'm picking on him in general like I don't like the guy I think he's a scumbag but it's could be anyone really i think that there the there there it needs to be on people in this industry to change the culture of what is wanted and what is not i i'd love to have like i i miss i love doing this podcast in general because i miss doing media so much i love hearing the sound of my own voice i don't care what people say about me in general you could call me a narcissist or whatever I like I like being heard. I like my opinions being heard in general. But at where I'm at right now, I'm not going to like 
I'm not going to to do that at the expense of my integrity. And I think everyone has the the choice of doing that at this point in life. Yeah, I can work for a sports book. You know how much DraftKings or FanDuel or what anyone, even an offshore, would pay me to do content for them. You don't. Do you know how many offers I've got? I don't mean to say this as like, but I've gotten tons of offers to do content for different platforms. And at this point, I I turn them down. And maybe it's because I'm in a financial situation where I didn't need it. But let's say I I I wasn't and I needed money. Then I'm making a conscious decision between the money versus integrity. And that's what it comes down to. I've done lots of things I'm not proud of. I'd readily admit to them. Uh, I was a brand ambassador for Oddshark for many years. Um, I, lo- I I don't regret a lot of that stuff because I've made friends for life in, in these spaces, like people like Nick Costas and uh, Dave Fucillo and like just a ton of people that uh, I have lifelong friendships with these people at this point. But I was very also very ignorant at the time and i would change a lot of things if i could now anyways this is just a a long rant but the reality is if we keep letting people off the hook for producing this stuff over and over then it never stops i think at some people people at some time people need to be held accountable and i think if there's a disclaimer that things are for recreational purposes or even if the 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 analyst himself the betting analyst quote unquote himself or herself comes out and says, I don't really have an edge on this, but I'm I'm just betting it for recreational purposes because I want to have some fun with it. You know, I, I'm preaching responsible gaming and whatever. I think it's fine, but it's it's the context that matters. And when someone comes across like they are an expert and they're passing themselves off as an expert and they are doing things that in the long run will harm the general public, and people will be like, well, how much how much damage could he possibly be doing? I've lived through problem gaming myself. I have friends that are in their mid-30s that do not have a cent to their name because of following people that they see on TV or asking friends who know nothing that have been on hot... Like, it is a, it is a definitive problem. So that's kind of why I take the stance that I do. Have I made mistakes? For sure. I'll continue to make mistakes over the course of my life. But at the end of the day, I do think people like Johnny need to be held accountable. And that's the end of my rant. All right. I mean, great, great rant. I got to go. This this one I'll have to go back and listen to. You said you love hearing your voice. I actually cringe hearing my own voice when I ever hear this played back. But I guess it takes some getting used to. I I actually do not. I, I never listen back to my... So I actually don't love hearing my own voice at all. That is a blatant lie. I hate listening to myself after the fact, but I love other people hearing my voice is what I meant to get at. Okay, fair enough. Uh, okay, so I mean, I think we're we're good on time here. We're going to do one more topic, which is a really, like this is one that when I hear people betting based on this, I lose it. And <laughs> and what I mean is, and and man, oh, I can't even tell you how many people are, have been mentioning, like messaging me about this, how many friends, how many people just getting into betting that just bet based on specifically this. And what I'm talking about is what people call sharp action has moved the line. This percentage of the amount of money bet is on this side. And this ticket count or percentage of the bets is on this side. 
um, the way that the like the biggest squares in the space will spin this to you as is when a lot of money is on one side and a lot of bets, aka the public, are on the other side. This means that the guys, the sharp guys, the guys betting big, are on one side. And the guys betting small are on the other side. And that's why the line has moved. And that's why you have an edge betting on the side with a lot of money instead of the side with a lot of tickets. And they'll openly promote their app and openly promote their platform with this data. Uh, in some cases, even charge you to get this data, which is even worse. Now you're paying money to get something that isn't helping you at all. Um, and lastly, like the sports books as well are sending out stuff like email blasts, marketing blasts, giving out this inf information as well. What I'm referring to here is the more of the, the sports books that don't necessarily move based on action. So I want to break down why I think this whole thing is all like a crock and why the money percentage and the bet percentage means absolutely nothing. And I can explain it. I think pretty well. And, and I, I'm open to anybody who has any conflicting view. I'll, I'll, you know what? We're going head toe to toe on this one. If you can play. <laughs> so, okay. Get, go, get it going, Johnny. I, I, I can fill in some gaps as a, I, I'm very passionate about this topic as well. This one is one that like, it really chaps my ass and has for many years. So I'm interested to see your, uh, well, I know, I know that our, our visions align, but I, I want, I want the specifics. So let's, let's, let's get into it. So let me go first. Um, when you're looking at this, the, the sports books that are giving this data out are not sports books that are moving based on action. It's sports books that are moving on air, copying the lines from the offshore sports books. So I'll preface this by saying, if you had this data for a Chris or a Pinnacle, it would be extremely valuable. Um, but good luck getting that data, right? So if you had this data for sports books that took millions of dollars per game and charted and booked and moved based on that action, you would have a significant edge. If you could do that, you'd essentially have the same edge that the bookmaker has when they're taking one side over another. Um, so that aside for anyone before anyone kind of says, oh, it is super value if you could have that. What I'm referring to is the, the public recreational sports books that give out this data. Won't name anyone by name, but it's pretty much everyone other than Chris and Pinnacle. If you give out something that says this percentage of the money is on Tampa Bay and this percentage of the money is on um, Kansas City for the Super Bowl, okay? I mean, pretend it was a regular season game, not the Super Bowl. That line has moved throughout the week. That line has been directly pulled from that sportsbook. Is they're booking that line based on whatever the offshore market has. So if I bet $1 million at one of these sportsbooks, I'm not going to move the line. If I bet 1 million on the other side, I'm not going to move the line. So the amount of money that comes in at that sports book is widely irrelevant because all they are doing is taking the line from somewhere else and then booking all of the action to it. They're never even shading one side of a game based on a tremendous amount of money that came in. And if they are, it's like a five cent move later in the week. It's nothing that's just to get some balanced action, but they're not actually moving a number four or five points from an opener to a close and then charting based on the money. Second, it matters a lot when the money comes in, which never gets put into any of these things. Is it money coming in right before the game, right before post? Is it money coming in early in the week that's actually shaping that NFL number? Third, it's never mentioned what number or what price that money was gotten on. As we just mentioned before, if LeBron James is out for the game, and I picked up a Portland plus nine. 
that's a significantly plus expected value bet. If I picked up a Portland plus two, I'm at neutral. If I picked up Lakers minus nine, I've got a negative EV bet. So it never tells you what percentage of the bets or what amount of money was bet at plus nine, plus eight, plus seven, plus six. It just says 70% of the, the money is on the Lakers. If I don't know what price that was bet into, then that data again is completely useless because there's going to be sharp people on either side of the line, depending on the price always in any given situation. So now already I'm not getting value because I don't know when those bets came in and I'm not getting value because I don't know what numbers those price, those bets came in. And then I'm not getting value because this book isn't even charting to action. So if I, if they had $100 million on one side and $0 on the other side, it's still widely irrelevant. They're not going to end up, you know, sure. In that extreme scenario, they may move the line and then take money back and get it, get it done. But ultimately, you know, they're not moving it based on the action. They're moving it based off, you know, a copied line from an offshore book. So for you to then say the sharps are on this side, the, the point of all points is about to be made next. Those books do not allow sharp players to play. So there is no such thing as sharp action at those books unless people are bearding in, which they're going to get cut eventually as well. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as sharp action playing in. There's no such thing as this, this uh, percentage of the sharp people are on here. This percentage of the square people are on here. It's all square people. All of the money in that book is square people. It's being bet at whatever prices. You're not getting anything reported. And all that info is widely, widely irrelevant. So don't listen to this narrative ever, ever. And certainly don't pay money to unlock this feature so that you can now see this data. All right. End of rant. That's well, it. get why you're doing it because they are 99.9% .9 true. There are, you know, a lot of the recreational books, if it's an extreme high handle event, they might move just based off of that. Like, like an example would be um, Mayweather and McGregor, the Mayweather McGregor fight, uh, significant handle at every sports book there. They're not just going to all copy Chris and Pinnacle. You might get some different numbers. So there might be something there. Theoretically, if 100% of people are all betting the same side and they reach like some sort of liability limit, they would move extremely uncommon. I get what you're, what you're saying. Fair but, enough. So you can, you can exclude the, the once in a lifetime type scenarios or once in a decade type scenarios. But if you're looking at this for, I would, I would even go as far as to say any major market, any regular season game. Yes. But now the worst part is that, like you said, most of the um, the where the money is where the money is on each side. Those are like pro features on most sites, where you actually have to pay to unlock them. Most people don't. At least I don't think that they do. I don't have analytics to back that up, but I'm, I'd be surprised if people are paying for that in general. And they're just using the the bet percentages, which is not even telling you the handle. It's just telling you the number of tickets that came in on one side or the other, which is even more useless than having the handle numbers. But on top of that, there's no context provided. So somebody might say, oh, well, like 80% of, of the money line tickets in this game are, are on the underdog, on the plus 200 underdog. Well, no shit, because everybody who's betting the favorites putting it into a parlay and it's not showing up in, in this representation of your numbers. Like there's no context into how much of that is straight bets, how much of that is parlays, how much of that is teasers. And I think people are are using data that they think they can do something with, and it's just 
so, so useless because they're, again, if you were, if you were able to open up like a trader's, their, their full setup and see, yeah, the dashboard and see what they have access to, that's a completely different story. But the sports book is providing numbers that they feel comfortable providing with providing that's not going to really hurt them in the long run. I will say a lot of people are always like, oh, you know, why would the sports book give accurate numbers? That's possible that there are inaccuracies there. From my experience, at least consulting for for some offshore gaming sites, those are somewhat accurate, like they're coming from a feed that. So I, that's not what I'm calling into question, but having zero context into what makes up those actual tickets is doing nothing for you. And especially if you're not using the handle alongside that in general, but for the most part, you you nailed it on the head, Johnny, with the point that there is nothing telling you where, like what numbers these, these tickets and this handle were coming in at. Cause it's very, very different to, to bet a team at plus four versus plus two and a half. I mean, you'll rarely see that in the NFL nowadays, but without that context until who's betting what at what numbers you're, you're going nowhere. You like, you, you have absolutely no clue what's going on. And then to make matters worse, I'll, I'll say this because people know that it happens, but there's market manipulation in general that people will bet to keep a number at a certain number because it's in their best interest to do so. Maybe they want to get down more later in the week on the other side. So at low limits, they can continuously prop a number up over and over and over in order to get down on the other side later in the week. They could prop a number up so that they can get down on the other side uh, at PPH, paperhead, off screen. Like there's a lot of things that are not factored into this equation that the average better has no clue even happens in the day-to-day market. And that's what that's what gets me with the reverse line movement stuff. I die of laughter when I see some of the reverse line movement stuff. And I know it was because Joey Toons hammered Pinnacle for like $4,000. And it's just like one guy who... I, I Toons wins in the long run. But like, I would... I, I cross with Toons pretty regularly. We're on opposite sides of the same game many times, just like I'm on the opposite side of many other sharps in a long, in, in a lot of situations. And like, you're now just choosing to side with the random sharp who bet on screen. Like if, if you, that's it, you, it's, it's one person that bet on the screen or especially the early week stuff, like the early week stuff just gets me like, I die of laughter. 80% of the people are on the Bengals and you know, 80% of the tickets are on the Bengals and the lines moving towards the Texans. It's like, yeah, okay, somebody popped Pinnacle for like two thousand bucks. Oh, I know, I know. And then, <laughs> and then here's the ultimate slap in the face with with a lot of these recreational books is, and everyone, a lot of people know this, and some people don't. But the people who are actually able to bet a lot of money at the recreational books are the squares. The people who can't bet a lot of money are the sharps. So to say that this percentage of the money is on one side and this percentage of the tickets are on the other side. If somebody is able to bet at one of the square books for a hundred dimes, hundred grand, 200 grand, their account is profiled so square that that it's just a slap in the face that they are the square that's going to be contributing to that money percentage. So 
uh, you know, whatever. It's crazy to think about that people find value in this stuff. Hopefully we debunk some of the stuff, but um, the way that this is just jammed down people's throats, it's one of those things where people don't just get the answer. They have to do a minor amount of work. So now they're thinking, well, I, this is the edge I have. This is how you do it. This is how you read the, this is how you read the chart. But, uh, but no, man, like it's not, you're not going to get an edge on that. You're going to lose money, uh, steam chasing off bad numbers. If you're going to follow reverse line movement and not get the same numbers. Um, and yeah, like all I can say is like, just try to ignore that completely. And anybody who does quote that as a reason for giving out plays, it's likely they don't have an edge. Now I'm not trying to say that everything that that person might be saying is garbage, but, uh, and maybe they don't know, maybe they're kind of caught up in the game as well, but, uh, you know, that's not an edge. I can be certain there. This episode kind of comes full circle because we started talking about bad content at first and then moved into these public bet percentages. Is there anything more tilting than the Sunday morning pros versus Joe's NFL recaps? Like the sharps are on this and the, the squares are on this. And it's like, I actually know so many sharps that are on the opposite, like on the same side as the squares in a lot of cases or a sharp side that, okay, it was a sharp side earlier in the week, but now the opposite side is the sharp side. Like this is what, it's such a polluted space. Polluted is the best word I could really use for it in general, because there's so many people consume this content. No one would write this stuff if, if it wasn't being consumed. It's the same as, um, the uh, Dave Purdom, like I'm not, I don't want to pick on Dave Purdom. I have no issues with the guy personally, but he loves to post the the bet tickets, right? Like a hundred thousand dollar bet was placed on this side at this sports book. That's the Darren Ravel special as well on top of it. Right. And I'm, I'm sure they're getting engagement on those tweets and I get why they Ravel said doing... those were his most engaging tweets. Right. But like, that's it's doing nothing for like, as a, as a better Am I supposed to just follow that action because somebody placed a hundred thousand on one side, or am I supposed to look at it and say, "Oh, you know what? Like, this guy's able to bet a hundred thousand on this side. Maybe the other side is is the way to go instead." I'm supposed to do none of this. Is the correct answer? It's completely irrelevant to the the game itself and how I'm handicapping and breaking down that game. But people are always looking for something. I, I don't know what draws them to this in general, but um. Man, it's 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 a polluted space out there right now, and it's just getting more and more polluted on a regular basis. And it's really tough to, you know, people message me all the time. How do I do this? You know, how did you go about doing this? How do I build a model? And basically, my copy and paste response to people on Twitter through DMs is, Google is your best friend. And I say that because Google helped me learn everything that I know for the most part. I never graduated from university. I'm a university dropout. I learned some computer programming while I was there. I did some stats classes while I was there. Horrible student. I learned everything I know about sports betting through Google. Fil- trying to filter out the fluff whenever possible. But do Google searches now. It's almost impossible to filter out the fluff. Like There's so much garbage out there in general. And it's more and more of it is being produced because people are consuming it. So it's like this cyclical problem that you have, right? Where people just don't know where to turn. And and I feel bad giving that advice nowadays because I could tell somebody Google is your best friend and they might type in how to build a model or something. And the first thing they're going to get is some sort of action network 
article about how to that's going to be completely irrelevant or or uh I, I don't know it's useless in some cases to them um so this is i know this has been an episode full of tangents and rants but i'm very passionate about uh this topic in general the content and people being being misled uh into believing that something is worthwhile when it's really not um and you just kind of have to take a lot of these things for what they are and it's just a tidbit that you can't do anything with somebody placed a big bet okay the pros are on this side okay sure what number do they play this at when who which pros because as far as i can tell there's only a certain number that actually hit the screen on a weekly basis and a lot of them try to get down without hitting the screen. So now you're like, there's five pros maybe that are betting into the hockey market on screen as an example. Like this, it, it's so tough, man. It's it's so tough. And I would hate to be someone who's just like a beginner trying to learn this space right now and trying to, to get better at my craft and try to figure out a way to win because you are going to be inundated with absolute garbage and it is going to, frankly, be almost impossible for you to decipher what's good information and what's not. I think you said it. You hit the nail on the head there. Um, I don't. Need, I don't know what else. Like I know. I don't mean to sound too negative in this episode. Like you said, it was a lot of ranting. Hopefully, um, we were able to, you know, switch some people's opinions or at least open up their their minds to thinking of other ways to do things or finding why. Like that's the the main one of the main feature requests we get on on Betstamp is to add in the money percentages to public percentage, and everyone who does ask that I usually try to have a conversation with them and ask them why they think it's valuable. And a lot of the stuff they say is you know the stuff that's being peddling stuff that I mentioned here. So uh, hopefully that can help some people in just even just ignoring that you'll save some money. And then in terms of the uh, you know the articles and the different content like like Rob and I mentioned not to be negative. If you are listening or reading those or listening to podcasts throughout the day, because you want to get some entertainment value power to you. And like, we appreciate all the people who are producing content in the space uh, from an entertainment perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think there's just, um, there's the onus on the content creator to not lead people astray in general. If you are going to preach stuff like public bet percentages and reverse line movement, and they're helping you win, you should keep a documented record. Plain and simple. You should you should have a bet stamp account at this point because there's nowhere else where you can keep a documented record. Like you can use another bet tracking app, but you can fudge your numbers in general for the most part. Like at this point, if that if if you're gonna stand behind that kind of stuff, well, I mean, this is a again hypocritical of me to do so because I, I'm saying it's not worthwhile and I don't keep a public record. So I get it. Maybe I'm just a contrib- contributor of the problem, but I can't keep a public record for a variety of reasons, uh, which I, you know, I've gotten into in the past. But yeah, it's there's there's the onus on somebody to say, I, I'm a coin flipper, or I like not in those not in those terms, but I don't have an edge. I'm doing this for entertainment, and and that's it. It's when you get people who, I guess, maybe have convinced themselves that they're it's a weird space. A lot of people will lose money and they'll convince themselves that they are a winner and they have an edge. I've seen it a million times. It will happen till the end of time. Uh, I I think there's something to do with the sports fan where there's just like the ego is so high amongst people 
Like if I'm losing on something, I have no problem admitting that I'm losing. I struggled with NHL sides this year. My ROI is way down relative to past years. I'm still making money on NHL and finding other creative ways to do so, but like that's just the reality of it. I don't think there's many people who are living in reality. And, and we kind of got to get to that uh, at some point. But I, I will say, Johnny, I ended last week's episode with a rant about how I'm such a miserable person in general and I'll never be able to be happy because I'll never sell my Bitcoin. And this was a pretty negative episode. So let, let's um, let's like make a commitment to to be positive next. Focus on a positive topic, something where we where we can help people. Let's have positive Rob make a brief appearance next week because this this episode is going to go like I don't know an hour fifteen. I feel like I could talk for another three hours on these topics because they tilt me. Like you don't even understand, my legs and and hands are shaking just speaking about public back percentages okay just just calm down we got to go for a round of golf next we got to wait for the I can't wait, to open man. Up. but the weather's gonna get like we had three great days here uh in the toronto area i can't do the fahrenheit conversions off the top of my head but it was like 15 celsius which is nice for mid to end march but it's gonna get shitty weather again like i, I i'm dying to golf so badly right now yeah we'll get it we'll get a couple rounds in i mean what was last year should be Mid-April, we should be okay. 60 rounds is what we need this year. 6-0. I will not settle, I will not settle for less than 60 rounds this year. Okay. Six, if 60 rounds, I'm going to need to get some more golf balls. I'm not very good. <laughs> Same with me. Um, I think depending, depending on the course, like, I mean, if I play, depending on the course, I'm losing like up to three sleeves of balls. I'm losing up to nine balls around. You have a, a nasty slice. Like at least for me, my mishits are more of I, ch- I chunk it. So um, like I don't I don't really get my my power transfer great from back foot to front foot. So my mishits are more chunks. I don't lose a lot of balls because yours you spray it like you you are all over the course. Yeah, it's all about the power. <laughs> I just I I try to keep it. In, that's what's helped my game the most. First year I golfed, I was like uh for a full year I was like 110 average last year i got down to mid 90s uh and the majority of those that is not like it's just not losing balls you got to fix that slice man if if you if you can if you can turn that slice into a draw you're gonna be you're gonna be i'm not gonna be able to bet you on the course anymore nothing yeah We'll see. I mean, I learned to play it last year near the end of the year, but it's not really the right way to do things. I got to go for a couple of lessons, man. Learn from some of the pros. I, 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 I did lessons last year. I'll plug, I'll plug uh, my guy, Terrace, Terrace Humanuke. I think that's how you pronounce his last name at Golf Tech Vaughn. I love Golf Tech. It kind of sucked because of COVID though, because they, they can't put the, uh, the sensors on you anymore due to COVID. So it's just like turns into a regular lesson, but it's fine really helped my game. Like you played with me last year. I'm, I'm not consistent by any stretch, but like I, I kind of am like my ball striking is not consistent, but I always score in the same range. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you are. You're consistent. By the way, for everyone listening, Rob's the only guy I know. He He's a data driven guy. We know this. He's a big stats nerd. Uh, this guy is the only guy I know who shoots, like you mentioned, he shoots mid nineties. This guy will track his uh, strokes gain approach off the tee <laughs> greens in regulation 
he's tracking his his uh his lost his strokes lost putting man this guy's does everything i just go out there for fun rob's well, actually trying well, to improve so there's a couple reasons for that well one is for the improvement so i use an app called uh the grint which i i'll openly plug anything that i use and has provided me value i don't really care i'm not getting paid by the grint but it's a good app man it's really good um and yeah, I track every shot that I make within the app and I kind of have a complete data set of, because it helps me, it helps me know what I need to work on, like where I have deficiencies in my game in general. But I also do it because we have a mutual set of friends, Johnny, which I, I tend to golf with and we play, we play for serious money and like we need real handicaps. Like these guys show up at the course and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I've been playing lately and I'm playing, I'm not hitting it as well. And they're like trying to shave, like get a couple extra strokes for handicap. I'm never that guy. I show up, I open the app, here are all the rounds. Here's my handicap. This is what we're going with. And I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to cheat people. And when I win money, which I tend to do because I'm very consistent, I don't have really a lot of blow up holes. They, they can't fall back on like, you know, you, you sandbag me type of thing, right? I don't, that's that. I just never want somebody at the end of the day to be like, oh, you were sandbagging or whatever. And it's not happening with me. I, I, I have integrity. All right, everybody. Um, thanks for listening. And we will uh, see you next week.